Yo, what up? Cloudycast fam. It is um, the ASAP Bravo bringing you guys another fucking episode of the Cloudycast. We got episode 23 going up today of the Cloudycast. And then um, I know it's been a while since I posted an episode on here. It's just I've been having a lot of shit going on, traveling, moving, all kinds of shit. And I know one thing that I've, I've said plenty fucking times before is I need to figure out when I do travel and all that shit is I figure out a way to get episodes up um I have been working on being more consistent on it which I I I think I've done a pretty good job I mean you tell me um uh but shit yep there's a little break in between podcast episodes shit happens uh but I'm back here got uh, episode 23 going up today two articles one's from Leafly the other one's um an article I found on Complex as as I've been doing I've been mixing it up a little more on different shit um, different articles to go over when I do the podcast, so we'll get right into it. And um, and the first article I'm gonna go over is one that I got on Leafly. Excuse me. All right, so this article, um, I guess it's a part one. I guess there's a part two out there. Whenever I see that, I'll post that one too. Um, but this one is about um, Sativa versus Indica. It's an overview of uh, cannabis types, and if you're new to cannabis or you really don't understand the whole sativa indica thing, I think this, I mean, this is the first time I'm reading it along with you guys. Let's see, I mean, a lot of times I'll learn some shit with y'all, but I mean, I, I, I definitely have a good understanding of it. So if you don't, this would be a good article for you to listen to. Um, so let's get right into it. So, when browsing cannabis strains or purchasing cannabis at a shop, you may notice strains are commonly broken up into two distinct groups, indica and sativa. Most consumers have used these two cannabis types as a touchstone for predicting effects. Very true. Indica strains are believed to be uh, physically sedating, perfect for relaxing with the movie or as a nightcap before bed. Sativa strains tend to provide more uh, invigorating, uplifting cerebral effects that pair well with physical activity social gatherings, and creative projects. Uh, this belief that indicas and sativas deliver distinct effects is so deeply rooted in mainstream cannabis culture that bud tenders typically began their strain recommendations by asking you which of these types do you prefer. So yeah, so sativa is supposed to be one that you do like, um, when you can be active, shit like that, like I just said, and then uh, indica is more, more heavy on the body, so uh, that's something that you want to do when you like they say when you're chilling you know what i mean not doing too much but shit for me i don't mind any of them but um i've been liking the indicas um a little more lately i'm a big sativa fan but i've definitely been liking the indicas a little more because i like more of that body you know what i mean uh higher whatever so uh, i've definitely been going with those over over the sativas lately so let's continue this motherfucker so this belief that... Oh, I already read that shit. However, data collected by cannabis researchers, researchers suggests these categories aren't as prescriptive as one might hope. In other words, there's little evidence to suggest that indicas and sativas exhibit a consistent pattern of chemical profiles that would make one inherently sed, uh, sedating and the other uplifting. We do know that indica and sativa cannabis strains look different and grow differently, but this distinction is primarily useful only to cannabis cultivators. 
So how exactly did the words indica and sativa make it into the vernacular of cannabis consumers worldwide? And to what extent are they meaningful when choosing a strain? Indica, sativa, origin, evolution of the terms. So they also have like an infographic on here. So sativa, it's um, as far as the plant goes, tall in stature, narrow leaves, longer flowering cycles, better suited for warm climates with a long season. Indicas, short in stature, broad leaves, shorter flowering cycles, suitable for colder climates with shorter seasoning. And then, like I said, guys, as always, you can hit me up anywhere on social at this at Bravo, and I'll get you over the fucking links and all that good shit. So the words indica and sativa were introduced in, in the 18th century to describe different species of cannabis, cannabis sativa and cannabis indica. The term uh, sativa, named by Carl Linneau, described hemp plants found in Europe and Western Eurasia. Where it was cultivated for its fiber and seeds, cannabis indica, named by Jean Baptiste Lamarck, uh, describes the psychoactive varieties discovered in India, where it was harvested for its seeds, fiber, and hashish products. Oh, hashish production, my bad. So, um, although the cannabis varieties we consume largely stem from cannabis indica, both terms are used even if erroneously to organize thousands of strains circulating the market today. Here's how, how terms have shifted since their earliest botanical definitions. Today, sativa refers to tall, narrow leaf uh, varieties of cannabis thought to induce energizing effects. However, these narrow leaf drug NLD varieties were originally cannabis indica, SSP indica. Now, this is getting super technical. Got to read into that shit. But anyways... Indica has come to describe stout broadleaf plants thought to deliver sedating effects. These broadleaf drug BLD varieties are technically ca technically cannabis indica SSP Afghanica. What we call hemp refers to the industrial non-intoxicating varieties of harvested primarily for fiber seeds and CBD. However, this was originally named cannabis sativa. That's some shit I didn't know. Originally, hemp was cannabis sativa. There we go. Learned some shit. Hope you guys did too. Confused, understandably slow. As you can see with the mass commercialization of cannabis, the taxonomical distinctions between cannabis species and subspecies got turned on its head and calcified or calcified. I don't know. You tell me if I said that wrong. Uh, it seems that uh, it seems a contemporary use of indica and sativa descriptors is here to stay. But as an informed consumer, it's important to understand the practical value of these categories. Which brings us to the research. Indica versus sativa affects what does the research say? This three-type system we use to predict cannabis uh, effects is no doubt convenient, especially when first entering the vast, overwhelming world of cannabis. With so many strains and products to choose from, where else are we to begin? Let's see, and there's a quote here. The clinical effects of cannabis chemovar have nothing to do with whether the plant is tall and sparse, which is short and bushier, whether the leaflets are narrow or broad. Uh, Ethan Russo, neurologist and cannabis researcher. The answer is cannabinoids and terpenes, two words you should put uh, in your back pocket if you haven't already. We'll get into these, uh, into know these terms shortly. But first, we asked two prominent cannabis researchers if sativa indica classification should have any bearing on a consumer strain selection. Ethan Rousseau is a neurologist whose research in cannabis psychopharmacology is respected worldwide, and Jeffrey Raber, PhD, is a chemist who found 
founded the first independent testing lab to analyze, to analyze cannabis terpenes in a commercial capacity, the workshop. The way that the sativa and indica labels are utilized in commerce is nonsense. Rooster told Leafly, the clinical effects of the cannabis chemovar have nothing to do with whether the plant is tall and sparse versus short and bushy, or whether the leaflets are narrow or broad. Rabber agreed, and when asked if butt tenders should be guiding consumers with terms like indica and sativa, he replied, there's no factual or scientific basis to making these broad sweeping recommendations, and it needs to stop today. What we need to seek to understand better is which standardized cannabis com composition is causing which effects. When delivered in which fashions at which specific dosage to which type of consumers. That's one thing I could say, and I should have fucking said this earlier, but I didn't. But I know one thing, whether it's cannabis, sativa, hybrid, if I take a fucking big enough hit or, you know what I mean, smoke a big enough doobie or whatever, I'm getting ridiculously fucking stoned. I don't give a fuck what it is. It's the same fucking high to me. But if I'm like, I guess what you call microdosing here and there, um, I def, at least for me, at least the indicas, I, I've been able to feel them a little more on the body side of things, you know, but anyways, just thought I'd point that out. Um, what this means is not all sativas will energize you and all indicas will sedate you. You may notice a tendency for these so-called sativas to be uplifting, for these indicas to be relaxing, especially when we expect to feel one way or the other. Just note that there's no hard and fast rule and no determinant chemical data that supports a perfect uh, predictive pattern. So there's no pattern, so there is a possibility. You know what I mean? Follow along. Uh, so if indica versus TV isn't predictive or effects, what is? The effects of any given cannabis strain depend on a number of different factors, including the product's chemical profile, your unique biology and tolerance, dose and consumption method. Understand how these factors change their experience and you have the best chance of finding that perfect strain for you. Cannabinoids. The cannabis plant is, a, is comprised of hundreds of chemical compounds that create a unique harmony of effects, which is primarily led by cannabinoids and terpenes. So cannabis plant is comprised of hundreds of chemical compounds, yes, that create unique harmony of effects, which is primarily led by cannabinoids and terpenes. Cannabinoids like THC and CBD, the two most common, are the main drivers of cannabis therapeutic and recreational effects. THC, Delta 9, tetrahydrocannabinol makes us feel hungry, high, and relieve symptoms like pain and nausea. CBD, cannabidiol, is a non-intoxicating compound known to alleviate anxiety, pain, inflammation, and many other medical ailments. Cannabis contains over 100 different types of these cannabinoids. But start uh, by familiarizing yourself with these two first. Instead of choosing a strain based on its indica or sativa classification, consider basing your selection on these three uh, buckets instead. Here's some good stuff for you guys right here. I feel it. This is a good article overall. Um, especially for you um, people that are new to this shit. Oh, fuck. Hold up. Okay. So THC dominant strains are primarily chosen by consumers seeking a potent euphoric experience. These strains are also selected by patients treating pain, depression, anxiety, insomnia, and more. If you tend to feel anxious with THC-dominant strains or dislike other side effects associated with THC, try a strain with highest levels of CBD. I was just about to say that. I know a lot of people um, that when they, you know what I mean, high THC shit, um, they definitely get anxiety, which is, I mean, I can see it happening, but it's super common. So CBD dominant strains contain only small amounts of THC and are widely used for those uh, highly sensitive to THC or patient needing clear-headed symptoms relief. Balanced THC and CBD strains uh, contain balanced levels of THC, offering mild euphoria alongside symptom relief. 
These tend to be a good choice for uh, novice consumers seeking an introduction to cannabis signature high. Um, it's worth noting that both indica and sativa strains exhibit these different cannabinoid profiles. Initially, most people thought higher CBD levels caused sedation and that CBD was more prevalent in indica cultivators, which we n now know is most definitely not the case. Raber told Leafly, we are more prone to see some CBD and sativa-like cultivators, um, but there isn't a systematic rule for relationship in that regard. So terpenes. If you've ever used um, aromatherapy to relax or invigorate your mind and body, you understand the basics of terpenes. Terpenes are aromatic compounds commonly produced by plants and fruit. They can be found in lavender flowers, oranges, hops, pepper, and of course cannabis. Uh, secreted by the same glands that ooze THC and CBD. Terpenes are what make cannabis smell like berries, citrus, pine, fuel, etc. Terpenes, here's another quote from the fucking article, I'll probably read it again when I'm going down. Terpenes seem to be major players in driving the sedating or energizing effects. Jeffrey Raber, founder of the workshop. Like essential oils vaporized in a diffuser, cannabis terpenes can make us feel stimulated or sedated, depending on which ones are produced. Pinene, for example, is an altering terpene, while linalool has relaxing properties. There are many types of terpenes in cannabis, and it's worth familiarizing yourself with at least the most common. Terpenes seem to be major players in driving the sedating or energizing effects, Raber said. Uh, which terpenes cause which effects is apparently much more complicated than all of us would like, as it seems to vary based on specific ones and their related ratios to other to each other and the cannabinoids. According to Raber, strains indica or sativa morphology does not specifically determine these aromas and effects. So they said again. Indica sativa doesn't have anything really to do with the terpenes from the studies they've done. However, you may find consistency among individual strains. The strain Tangy, for example, delivers a distinctive citrus aroma, while DJ Short's Blueberry should never fail to offer the hallmark scent of ripe berry. If you can smell the strains you're considering for purchase, you consider you are considering for purchase. Find the aromas that stand out to you and give them a try. In time, your intuition and knowledge of cannabinoids and terpenes will guide you to your favorite strains and products. That's fucking true. So, uh, biology, dosing, and consumption method. So lastly, consider the following questions when choosing the right strain or product for you. However, much how much experience do you have with cannabis? If your tolerance is low, consider a low THC strain and low doses. Are you susceptible to anxiety or other side effects of THC? If so, try a, high, a strain high in CBD. Uh, do you want the effects to last a long time? If you do, consider edible starting with the low dose. Conversely, if you seek a short-term experience, use inhalation methods or tincture. There are many factors to consider when choosing a strain, but if you truly find if you truly find that indica strains consistently deliver a positive experience, then by all means, keep them coming. However, if you're still searching for that ideal strain, these are important details to keep in mind. Uh, what cannabis strain is right for you before choosing indica or sativa? It is important to consider a third cannabis type, hybrid. Hybrids are thought to fall somewhere in between the indica and sativa spectrum, depending on the on the traits they inherit from their parent strains. This may seem overwhelming, especially uh, if you're a bud tender's job. It is to guide consumers 
to the right product. Ironically, the more you know about cannabis, the more questions seem to arise. But understanding the basic properties of cannabinoids, terpenes, and consumption methods will often answer the most fundamental questions of cannabis. What product is right for me? Here are some helpful beginner resources to get you started. And there's a bunch of links. Again, if you guys want these, hit me up anywhere on social at the ASAP Brado. Brado. Bravo. Um, let's see here. So for butt tenders, be cognizant of the basis of your recommendation, especially for customers treating medical ailments. Educate, educate yourself on the benefits of different cannabinoids and terpenes and use that knowledge to make a recommendation beyond the oversimplifications and marketing tactics embedded in the sativa indica distinction. I'll read that one more time because that was good. Uh, be cognizant of the basis of your recommendation, especially for customers treating medical ailments. Educate yourself on the benefits and different cannabinoids and terpenes and use that knowledge to make a recommendation beyond the oversimplifications and marketing tactics embedded in the sativa indica distinction. In the future, I'd like to see the term sativa and indica be abandoned in favor of a system in which the consumer tells the bud tender what he she would like to have in terms of effects from the cannabis selection and then study the offerings together. Rousseau said, if a buzz is all that is wanted, then high THC with uh, limonene or terpenoline would be desirable. If someone in consciousness has to work or study and treat their pain, then high CBD with low THC plus some alpha-pinene alpha to reduce short-term memory impairment would be the ticket. Cannabis may not be as simple as we like, but it, its diversity and complexity um, is what makes it such a remarkable plan and tool for consumers of all types. So, damn, we learned a lot of shit there, guys. Um, so that was a good article overall. Um, again, they have a bunch of resources and links on this article. So if you want it, hit me up um, on social and I'll get that over to you. Uh, so far, from my first-hand experience with um, the article overall, I mean, it's it's pretty head-on. Like I said, as far as, like, Indica Sativa goes, at least for me, when it comes to, like, Indicas, definitely feel more of that body high. If it's a Sativa, I definitely get more of that head high. Um, hybrids, um, you know what I mean, balances it out, and then CBD um, doesn't get you fucking high at all, uh, so that's it for that article, the next article I got for you guys um, is going to be, I'm pretty sure you guys saw all that shit that fucking R. Kelly's finally um, getting his shit for, it came out, or yeah, all that news, he just got arrested again, I want to say in Chicago, um, by the feds, over some new child pornography shit. I don't even know how this motherfucker's still out. Um, but anyways, so this one's called Chris Manager uh, Defends R. Kelly but wouldn't leave his daughter alone with Singer. Well, there you go right there. His own lawyer says that shit. So let's read this article real quick and then I'll let you guys uh, enjoy the rest of your day, evenings, or whatever. But shit, so ahead of R. Kelly's federal court appearance in Brooklyn court next month, the disgraced Chicago Singers Crisis Manager Daryl Johnson sat down for an interview with Gail King on CBS this morning. On CBS this morning, Johnson defended Kelly, who was facing a combined 18 counts in Illinois and New York, including child pornography, as his client is being held in Chicago jail without bond. Kelly's a mess right now, Johnson explained. He's afraid, he's scared, he's isolated. As he should fucking be. So, um, here's the the tweet that CBS this morning had, had posted the day of Oh, shit, that was recently. Oh, shit, this just happened. Fuck. Anyways, I'm reading this article, like I said. So, uh, first time with you guys. So, R. Kelly will appear in federal court in Brooklyn next month to face new sex crime charges. 
Federal prosecutors charged the singer with the combined 18 counts, including child pornography. Kelly's uh, crisis manager, Daryl Johnson, is here with how he's finding the new charges. And there's a little video right there. Um, I can send this to you guys if you guys want to see that shit. So, despite his defense of uh, Kelly, Johnson made it clear that he wouldn't trust Kelly around his daughter. You have a 20-something-year-old daughter. Would you allow her to be along with... Uh, would you allow her to be along with... Would you allow her to be alone with King said before she was interrupted by Johnson? Absolutely not. She didn't even finish the fucking question and he said that. He responded immediately. All right, Kelly, she asked. I would not leave my daughter with anyone who's accused of pedophilia, he added before repeating the statement. Um, I've seen Mr. Kelly being a normal person, he said, while adding that he's not seen anything that would lead him to be suspicious of Kelly. Johnson has denied all allegations. Uh, leveled against the singer, but he insisted that he wouldn't call anyone a liar. That's interesting. R. Kelly is currently being held in solitary confinement in a Chicago prison, but he will soon be transported to New York to face his felony charges there on August 2nd. The case in Illinois alleges that he made videotapes of himself having sex with underage girls. If convicted of the charges in Illinois alone, he could face up to 195 years. So that was it for that quick ass article. Um, if you guys want to see more into it, like I said, they have that whole interview thing from um, the CBS uh, This Morning Show that I could send over to you guys. Uh, but yeah, my bad for a little delay and uh, the podcast had a lot of shit going on. Hope you guys understand. Appreciate you guys. Um, if you haven't checked out the website, um, I haven't, like I said, with everything going on, I haven't added too much fucking um, new shit to the store. Um, but as always, definitely would appreciate you guys checking it out. Um, got the merch on there too, cloudysociety.com. Um, with the summer heading towards the end and fall and winter coming, um, there is going to be a new um, Cloudy Society hoodie release. Can't wait for that shit. Um, but anyways, appreciate your time. Hope you're having a great fucking day, the best day ever. And um, see y'all, or we'll be back soon. Peace.